Well, it's great, great to be with you. Uh, if it's your first time uh, visiting us, or maybe second, maybe you had a New Year's resolution, uh, we're really glad you're here. Really um, welcome. Uh, we're going to dive right in today and talk about, um, is Jesus really good news? Is Jesus really good news? Is he good news for your co-workers? Is Jesus good news for your neighbors? Is Jesus good news for Austin? Is Jesus good news for for Muslims all across the world? Is Jesus good news for Hindus in India? And unless this is your first time, and if again, I just want to say welcome, we're glad you're here. Unless this is your first time with us, you know that without a doubt, we believe unashamedly that Jesus is the best news for every single person on the planet. Amen? And this is a church, too, where you get to say amen if you want to. You don't have to. Okay, but you can, it'll help me stay engaged with you and help me know that you're awake and not just thinking about, you know, lunch afterwards. Okay, Um, amen? All right, there we go. Um, But there are 7 billion people, 7 billion people, 7 billion people on the planet today. And what's crazy to think about that of those 7 plus billion people that are on our planet today, 2.5 billion, about a third of the world, doesn't know the good news of Jesus. How's that possible, right? With like 4G and LTE, like how is that possible? That a third of the world still has yet to hear the good news of Jesus. We would call them unreached. Unreached with the good news of Jesus. Unreached means that there's no one in their language or culture that knows Jesus, that's proclaiming Jesus to them. There's no churches in their culture. Two and a half billion people today. It's unacceptable, friends. God, that's not what God's heart is. God, very clearly, throughout the Bible, you can look at one example is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, God's desire is for all men to be saved. His heart is that everyone on the planet would have an opportunity to know and follow him. And so our church, because of these two and a half billion people that haven't heard about Jesus, we send people all across the world. We send people all across the world, and, and today, whether you're thinking about leaving Austin or not, it really doesn't matter, today we are going to unashamedly, unapologetically ask all of you to go to the nations. You're like, hey bro, just cool it, man, it's like my second time here, I haven't been to church in like three years, and now you're talking about nations? Like, I've been to like Dallas before, right? It's Okay. It's okay. God wants to use many of us, probably many of us that don't think he wants to use us right now to, to, to speak his word across the world. And so our church is about this. We actually got to, um, just a week ago, um, my, myself and my family and about 40 or 50 of us from the stone went over to Spain and we met some of our goers. The people that we send to the nations are called goers. And we met about 75 of them in Spain, kind of like this huge family reunion. We met with God in a powerful way. It was so amazing. We got to hear story after story. And some of you guys were here and cheered. You guys remember doing that? You cheered for the goers and they really appreciated that. And so we wanted to tell you uh, or show you a story. Um, um, Adam's going to um, share a story, uh, just one of the many stories that, w- that we got to hear last week of how God's working around the world. So let's go ahead and watch this video and then we'll, we'll keep going. You know, it'd be easy for us. We've, we've now, over the last five plus years, sent over a hundred people to the nations. It'd be easy for us to say, look, we've done it. Mission accomplished, right? 
No, it's not mission accomplished, friends. It's only part of what God has for us. Going is an important part, but that's only part of what God has for us. We, we want to ask today, what happens after they go? After they leave Austin, what's supposed to happen? And the reason this message is relevant for all of us today, not just for the, the 20 plus people that were up on the stage, is because of this. Today, all of us, Today, all of us will go somewhere. Tomorrow, all of us will go somewhere. We will go to work. We will go to our neighborhoods. Classes will start in a few weeks here. We'll go to our apartments, and God has us going. Whether it's downtown or Dubai, God has us going, and he wants more for, from us than just to go. In fact, the number one reason, friends, that you live in the neighborhood you live and that you go to the classes that you squeaked your way into, right, some of you just signed up or within the last month. And the, the reason that you um, work where you work primarily is so that Jesus would look as glorious as he is. Amen? That's the reason you have the job you have. That's the reason you live in the neighborhood you live. Because God is calling all of us, all of us to multiply our lives. It's really clear. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. He wants every single one of us. There's no asterisks that say, if you're an introvert, do this. Or if you're called or hear a special voice. No, for all of us. He wants us to go and multiply our lives. I'll use those two words interchangeably today. Multiply and make disciples. And when I say, and when Jesus said more importantly, when he said make disciples... In Matthew 28, he wasn't talking about an older believer investing in a younger believer. Okay, like we meet at Cafe Medici every week and, you know, bring our Bibles. And that's good, and that's in the Bible, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about the total number of disciples or followers of him in the world actually increasing. Right? That we would make new disciples. And he wants all of us to do that. Not just here, but also over there among the nations. See, sometimes we lose sight of what God has clearly called all of us to do. But when we begin to think about it, you know, let's say you live on South Congress, you're like, man, there's a lot of people that live on my street. And you're telling me I live on South Congress so that I can reach all the people? I mean, there's hundreds. Or maybe you, you work at National Instruments and you're like, man, there's thousands of people that work for my company. And I'm supposed to help all of them follow Jesus? Or maybe God's stirring in your heart and you're like, man, thinking about going to the Middle East or Southeast Asia or, or you know, any of these places. Like, what? How could I do that? Friends, God has a plan. God has a plan. It's a good plan and it's to use you, his church, to multiply. He wants every single one of us to multiply, no matter who we are. Here's three different ways that I know that he's calling all of us to multiply. Three different mandates, okay? The first mandate is a theological mandate. Theological, is a, it's biblical, okay? There's, there's, the Bible points us to multiply. It starts in the very beginning of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God tells Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, Jesus, uh, or God is not just talking about having physical children. Yes, he wants us to have babies. We're, we're a, a pro-baby church, okay? Hear that and do that um, in the context of marriage, right? And, 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 and that's good. But he also wants us to have spiritual children. 
So all the single people, this is you too, okay? He wants us to, to have spiritual children. We'll talk more about that later. But it's clear from the very beginning that God wants his reign and his rule, his kingdom, to be over the whole earth. That's why he created us. God tells the same thing to the next guys in the story of the Bible, to Abraham, who has a son Isaac, who has a son Jacob. And he says the same thing to each one of them. Right, And we actually are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because they were the ones that were the, the, the forefathers of Jesus. And we, through Jesus, this, the message that was to them is to us. So here's what God said to Isaac. Genesis 26. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, that's, that's us if you were wondering, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So now we're not just talking about Terrytown, right? I mean, the, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through us. This is what God wants. Jesus talked about multiplication all the time. You remember the, the parable he told about the sower who went out and sowed the seed and it fell on four different kinds of soil? You remember that story? And he said the good soil, what separates the good soil is that it multiplies 30, 60, and 100 fold. Or think about when Jesus called the disciples. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because Jesus' desire for all of us is that the total number of people that, that would follow him would continue to increase until he returns. So you've got a theological mandate to multiply. There's also a narrative mandate to multiply. That means that the, there's different stories in the Bible that point us to multiplication as God's heart for all of us. The easiest one to look at is in the book of Acts. It starts out in chapter 1 with about 120 people following Jesus. And you guys know the story. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes. Paul, or um, God preaches through Peter. And 3,000 people respond. Right? And by the end of chapter 2, it says this. Verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day. So there was preaching, but it was also just through the people multiplying their lives. And then by the beginning of chapter 4, verse 4, we see that there's 5,000 people now following Jesus. And then the, the next chapter, get, hear this one. Acts 5, verse 14. More than ever believers. More than ever. So if there were 5,000, and now there's more than ever, right? That most people say that means probably three to 5,000 people were added. More than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. So now you've got the church at eight to 10,000 people. In, in the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 7, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The church is just doing this. We were created to grow and multiply, to reproduce. In, in chapter 9, it says the church multiplied. It doesn't matter um, who you are. Man, when we hear stories like that, I mean, like, in, in, for crying out loud, in, in four chapters, the church was 5,000 people from 120 I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of something like that? Who doesn't, who says, you know what, you know what, my, my little cubicle, it's good enough, right? Got my little Jesus poster here, no offense if you actually have that, you know, but like, I, I'm good, my little cubicle, and I, I've got my little MC. No, no, we want to live like that because we were created to multiply. The third mandate to multiply is a mathematical mandate to multiply. God's just put it in our logic, in our math. If our goal is to see two and a half billion people follow Jesus, which plan would you want to be a part of? 
Plan one is for you to see one person come to know Jesus every single day. So at the end of the year, you see 365 people begin to follow Jesus. And that happens year after year after year after year. Really tiring, but really awesome, right? Okay? The plan two is for you to see one person come to Christ each year. That sounds a little bit more sustainable, right? And then after that first year, so now there's two of you, that next year you had taught them how to multiply their lives. And so now at the end of the second year, there's four of you. And at the end of the fourth year, eight, and so on and so forth. Plan one or plan two? Well, here's the math, friends. Plan one is addition. And although it looks good at first, look what happens about year 13. Year 13, all of a sudden, multiplication, or plan two, takes a radical jump and doubles plan one in addition. And then just three years later, plan two is up to 65,000 people. Unbelievable. So whether you look at the math or whether you look at the Bible, God is clearly calling us to be a people that multiplies. We wholeheartedly believe that God wants us all church, whether you go to the nations or not, to be people that go and multiply. Multiply here and multiply there. And before we jump into the how do we multiply, I think it's important that we take a step back and ask why. Why do we multiply? The reason we multiply, friends, is Jesus. It's a person, not a task. See, it's easy for us. We can fall into this trap that, that because we're kind of like get-or-done Texans, right? Um, and, and we get stuff done, amen? And, and you give us a mission, we'll get her done because we're Texans, right? Well, that's, that's good and nice, but that can't be our motivation. Jesus has to be our motivation. Jesus has to be our motivation. And if you want to turn there... You can look, um, open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we'll be the rest of today. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is, Paul is very clear that Jesus was his motivation. And it's, it's throughout all the books that he wrote. But here's the 2 Timothy 2 verse 10 version. He said, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, Paul was saying Jesus is the best, and he is extremely motivated to do whatever it takes. That's demonstrating his love. That's demonstrating the why, so that other people could know Jesus. No sacrifice, no sacrifice is too great for him. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a people that says Jesus is the best. And we're not willing just to sing songs about it or talk about it. We will show it with our lives. And we will show it through sacrifice. Because the best way to show love is through sacrifice. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the first time I met Jamie, who's now my wife, right? When I first met Jamie, I didn't know how great she was. So my sacrifice for her was pretty small. Okay, so for example, um, I would check my email. I don't, I don't like to check my email. I don't now. I didn't then. So I even, I set up a Hotmail account. You guys remember Hotmail? Come on, some of you AOLers out there still hanging on. You know what I'm talking about? Hotmail was the next big, you know, big one. And I set up a Hotmail account so that I could begin to interact with this woman. And, and yet as my affections for her grew, so did my sacrifice, so did my sacrifice. And so all of a sudden, I would sacrifice easily my time. For, we lived in different cities, an hour and a half apart. And I would drive there and back three hours a time just so I could spend three hours with her. 
right? Leave at like 9 p.m., spend a few hours, get an early breakfast, and be back in the office by 8.30. No problem. I'd sacrifice my money, you know, whether it was on gas or food or gifts. And then eventually, as she grew in her value in my life, I'd clear out my bank account to put a ring on her finger, right? And I, I'd, I'd sacrifice my dignity, right? There, there was a busy intersection that she drove every day, and I knew that. So I was standing there waiting for her. And this is after we were engaged, right? And she's driving. I see her car tear off my shirt, not because this is so impressive, okay? If you were wondering, it's not. And, uh, but I had the words, I love you, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> you know? Because I didn't care. And she was a little bit like this. But she knew, she knew, right, that nothing... I, I would sacrifice anything for her, including my pride, right? Which I had none of left after that. And, and, and she knew it, though. She knew it. And then 12 years ago, by God's grace, we got to sacrifice um, and, and get married. And what I didn't do, what I didn't do the, the, after the ceremony is stand up and say, mission accomplished, right? No. I didn't say, the sacrifice is done. I got married. I, we're good now. No more sacrifice. No. Much the opposite, right? As her value in my life continues to increase, all the more do I want to sacrifice on my best days, okay? I'm not saying, trust me, it's, it's, we need help just like everybody else, okay? If, lest you think that we got it all together. Um, but, but sacrifice more and more and more because her value in my life happened. None of us likes to sacrifice, and yet... Yet, if the value of of the person that we sacrifice for increases, we will do whatever it takes. And the awesome thing about Jesus, friends, the amazing thing about Jesus is that we multiply for him, from his love for us, not for his love. In other words, we don't make disciples, we don't go to the nations so that Jesus will love us more. It's not how it works. That's how the world loves, that's not how Jesus loves He loves us, and from his love, we want to multiply. We willingly sacrifice. So, now that we've talked about the why, let's move on to the how and what stops multiplication. We'll do those two things, and then we'll be done this morning. One of the best chapters on multiplication is 2 Timothy 2.2. Let's read the first two verses. Here's what Paul said to, to Timothy. He said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see how Paul starts out by calling Timothy his child? He did that because he saw him as his spiritual child, as his spiritual son. So Paul to Timothy, that's Paul being the first generation and Timothy being the second. Now how many more generations do you see in verse 2? Paul to Timothy, you can see the little diagram that we drew, to faithful men to others, right? Four generations, spiritual generations. This is how, no, the PowerPoint didn't work, or I mean, didn't get busted. We wanted to show you how simple multiplication is. This is God's plan for seeing every person on the planet have an opportunity to worship him. And it involves me and you. It involves me and you. You put up um, Adam and Dave's, right? Adam, the video we watched just a few minutes ago, there's their little multiplication map. 
Adam and Dave sit down with five refugees, meet them, love on them, tell them the gospel. They respond, and now they're going to places like Afghanistan to tell other people about Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of multiplication. And so the question becomes not, is this God's plan? It's pretty clear that it is. But is multiplication really happening in our lives? Is multiplication really happening in our lives? Who is your Timothy, friends? Who is Timothy's faithful men? Who are Timothy's faithful men? Who are their men and women under them? About two years, we began to ask the question, are we celebrating the wrong thing? Because, see, by God's grace, RMC had seen a handful of people respond to Jesus and say yes to him for the first time. We were making disciples, right? We were doing it. But, but, but when this landed on us, we, we realized we, we weren't doing it. <laughs> we weren't going for spiritual grandchildren. We weren't helping those that we had seen come to faith help them then multiply their lives and see others come to faith. And it was just addition. It was just plan one. It was not multiplication. See, if we don't go for multiplication, we won't get multiplication. But, but, but it can see, seem overwhelming, can it? I mean, for, for many of us, we're like, man, I, that, that's cool, that, those little diagrams and circles, that's neat. But Andy, I, I, don't even, I don't even like to talk to people about Jesus. I don't know how. And you're talking about seeing somebody come to Christ and then teaching them to, to do that same thing with others and then teach that. What Man, that's overwhelming to me. And I think Paul knew that multiplication, although it, it's very simple, could also be overwhelming for us. And that's why he starts out the way he does in chapter 2. Look, look again at, at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy, remember the grace that Jesus gave you when he saved you? That same grace is given to you to carry out this task of multiplication. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. In fact, I would go as far to say is that if you don't feel overwhelmed regularly, you're probably not giving your life to anything of eternal significance. See, God loves it when we're overwhelmed. He loves it when we admit that we can't do it. He loves it when we, it doesn't matter if you're, you're, you work at Dell or you're thinking about going to New Delhi, right? Both of those are overwhelming. How could God use little me to reach a whole company, to reach a whole city, to reach a whole state, a whole people? He, he can and he wants to. I think about Tim, who I just saw last week. He's one of our goers, and he lives in a town with a million Muslims in it. And he and his little team of four people are trying to reach one million Muslims in their town. They wake up every morning feeling overwhelmed. But you know what he told me? He said, Andy, every day I feel God's grace. This verse is true. Every day I feel God's grace because the task is so overwhelming. I know I can't do it. That's exactly what God wants. It's exactly what God wants. So what else? Besides being overwhelmed, what else stops us? We're going to just look at a few things that try to stop multiplication in our lives and then we'll be done. The first obstacle to multiplication that, that, that Paul brings up in this text in verse 4 is living for the world. Living for the world. 
Verse 4 says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I think we all have to ask the question, who or what am I living for? If a jury were to examine my life, what would they say my pursuits are? What am I giving my time and my energy to? The key word for me in this text is enlisted. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You were chosen, friends. If you follow Jesus, you, were, you didn't have anything to do with that. God broke into your life and he changed your life. And he broke into your life for a purpose. He broke into your life for a purpose, friends. And that purpose, a major part of that purpose at least, is to multiply your life. I, 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 let me say it very clearly. If you or you and your family or you and your roommates or you and your MC are not multiplying disciples, then you are squandering the very gift that has been given to you. The, the gospel, friends, wasn't supposed to stop with you. It wasn't supposed to terminate on you. The gospel is always given to you so that it can be given to somebody else. That's what he calls us all to, whether we go or not. I think about Tom, who was in our MC last year. Tom, um, at the end of the year, we were sharing as a group things God had done in our lives. And Tom and his wife both had seen somebody begin to follow Jesus for the first time in their lives. And and that was awesome. They were talking about that experience. and, And when we got around to Tom, he started to cry. And after he gathered himself, he said, I wish, I wish I would have known that I could live like this sooner. I wish I could have known that I could have lived like this sooner. And he went on to talk about how he'd been trying to live for Jesus while also trying to live for the world. Live for work, live for family, live for adventure, live for great Austin food and, and, and great experiences in our, in our fun town. He was trying to live for both. He was trying to live for both. And, and see, Tom had been a believer for a while. He came to this campus actually faithfully every week. He was even a part of an MC, but he had never been a part of a group of people who said, we want to multiply our lives week in and week out. And they asked each other if they would do that. They committed to it. Tom realized over the course of that year that Jesus didn't hear this church Tom realized that Jesus didn't love him more because he was multiplying disciples. But that as he multiplied disciples, Jesus became a greater and greater treasure in his life. And the other things, the other pursuits of this world just got pushed out. And so more of his time, more of his money, more of his energy was put towards Jesus and his purposes than ever before in his life. And he said he'll never go back again. The second obstacle that impedes multiplication is not following the rules. Now, some of you, especially those who grew up in very strict churches, right, are like, oh, man, here we go again. See, this is why I don't like these people, (laughs) because it's all about following the rules. Let me be very clear, friends. We are not talking about your salvation. Look at at what the Bible says in verse 5. It says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Being crowned is not talking about you being saved. It's talking about the prize, the prize of Jesus through spiritual multiplication. Through multiplication, the prize is seeing spiritual grandchildren happen. And God has a way to do that. Jesus has a way to do that. And it's better than our ways. 
So here's a couple of the things that, that Jesus showed us in his life, that Paul demonstrated in his life, that he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. First of all, the message is Jesus. The message is Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul said this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. When we go to the unreached or when we go to the office, Jesus needs to be on our lips. He is our message, friends. Just, again, all these stories from last week, but last week I was talking um, to one of our goers, and he was interviewing for a job in the Middle East. And the interviewer asked him this. The interviewer, who is a Muslim man, said, Are you a follower of Jesus, and are you coming to my country to tell people about Jesus? And he needs this job so he can get a visa so he can live in this country in the Middle East. And my friend thought about it for a minute and he said, I love God and God has changed my life through Jesus. And because of this, I must never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. And a few days later, my friend was CC'd on an email that the interviewer had sent to the bigwig of the company saying that he strongly recommended my friend for the job, saying that he was a man of integrity and one who closely follows God. Friends, Jesus must stay the center of our message. The second way that we can follow the rules is, is the, the method is with. This is going to seem probably really elementary, but there needs to be a with that we have. Here's what I mean by that. In, in verse 2 it says, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses implies that Timothy actually spent time FaceTime, not, not FaceTime like I got my phone, but actual this is my face and I can reach out and touch your face. You guys know that that exists still, right? I think, right? Real in-person time with Paul. Timothy was with Paul. And it's with Paul that, that Jesus, he, Paul was taking his clues from Jesus, who in Mark 3.14 said the exact same thing. When Jesus said, here's what I've chosen my disciples to do. In 3.14 he said, I have chosen them that they may be with me and then send them out to preach. In our multiplication, we need to do it with people. I think about Jess, who a few years ago, probably like many of us, was, was scared to share her faith, didn't know how to talk to people about Jesus. And so she joined an, an, an MC where her leader went out with her, and they struck up conversations with people, brought up God, and asked them to read the Bible. So her leader modeled it for her several times and said, okay, Jess, your turn. And she's like, ah, okay. And she tried it, and the third gal they met was named Sue. And Sue had never read the Bible before in her life. And Sue said she'd be interested in reading the Bible. So now her leader, with Jess, is reading the Bible with Sue. And five months later, Sue puts her faith in Christ. Amen? Sue puts her faith in Christ. You know what Jess does just a, a day or two after she says yes to Jesus? She takes Sue out, <laughs> brand new believer, takes Sue out and, and shows her what does it look like to start a conversation, bring up God, and ask people to read the Bible. Just a few days later. Well, they did that for several months. And then six months later, you know what Sue did? Sue started her own group. Hello. Are you hearing generations, friends? Four generations. That's what we're always going for. We're going for spiritual children. And then Sue did it with her girls in her group and showed them how to multiply. Friends, we can't just tell people to multiply. This sermon is not enough. You have to be shown. 
There's a handful of you out there that maybe we'll figure it out, but the majority of us, just like me, have to have somebody to show us. And so one of the primary applications from this sermon is to show up to some info meetings for those of you who are interested in going and multiplying your lives. You're interested in going and multiplying your lives, then come one of these next two nights and get into, we're going to start these groups, these, these, these 10 week MCs, and the primary focus will be how to make disciples. And guess what? Your leader will do it with you. Does that sound good? Sometimes we're, we're kind of like, we're, we're, if we feel like, man, church-wise, we could get our PhD, but making disciples-wise, we're in first grade. Anybody relate? Know a lot of the Bible, but, but not sure how to multiply your life? It's okay. We're not the experts, but, but, but it's with each other that God wants us to do it. Man, come to one of those meetings tomorrow night or Tuesday night over at St. John's. Your campus pastor will tell you more. The final obstacle to going and multiplying is a fear of suffering. A fear of suffering. We need to be willing to suffer if we want to multiply. This is what verse 3 said. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It is the hard-working farmer, it says in verse 6. Jump to verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Running away from suffering stops multiplication. Let's, let's start by saying nobody enjoys suffering, amen? Nobody likes it, but, but we can be motivated to suffer if the one or the prize that we get for suffering is valuable enough. Remember how motivated I was to suffer, to sacrifice for my wife, right? Because her value in my life increased. The same thing happens with Jesus. There's a direct proportion between how much we prize someone and how much we're willing to sacrifice or suffer for them. And make no mistake about it, church, going to the unreached and telling people about Jesus will cost us. And some of that suffering will just be annoying, like not having internet consistently or not having hot water half the days that you live there. And other suffering will be really weighty. Last week, I was sitting across the table from some folks that are in Central Asia, and they were telling me how they almost lost their son three different times during the pregnancy. Now, she was on bed rest in a foreign country in a language and culture she didn't understand for six months. You talk about loneliness. Why? And again and again, she's just saying, why am I here, God? Why did you bring us here? Or I think about our friends, another couple um, who has young children. And last year alone, friends, in 2014, they lost nine of their friends. Not, not necessarily all people from the Austin Stone, but other believers. And they were part of a team in a city. And they were telling people about Jesus. And those nine people throughout the year got killed for telling others about Jesus. And, and, I'm, and I'm carrying, literally carrying their bags. They, get, they traveled from their country, long day, young kids, five and under, and I'm, I'm literally carrying their bags to their room um, and, and just so humbled to even be in their presence. I mean, I felt like I was in the presence of Jesus, right? Not that they were Jesus, don't, don't get me wrong, but, but being around them made me want more of Jesus in my life. It made me want more of Jesus in my life. I want, I want to live like that. 
Because, see, they didn't just come and then come back here. They went back to that same country where they lost nine of their friends who were proclaiming the name of Jesus. They went back there with their young children. I want to be like that. Jamie and I, we want our kids to know that Jesus is worth everything. And that when we sacrifice, when we suffer, that he multiplies. He multiplies our joy. He multiplies his glory among us. He multiplies the number of believers around us. He multiplies everything. We want him to be the greatest prize in our lives. See, every obstacle, every obstacle to going and multiplying is actually an opportunity. Amen? It's an opportunity to go and multiply. If you're distracted from Jesus because you're consumed with the world, then get around some people who will call you week in and week out to, to, to multiply and to keep Jesus at the center of your life. If you're not sure how to multiply your life, then get around some people who, who will show you how to do it, who will do it with you. If you're running from suffering, stop, embrace it, and ask God, how are you going to multiply your glory? How are you going to multiply your goodness and your greatness and my joy in you in this suffering? That's what he wants to do, friends, in all of our lives, whether you go or not. Yes, we want many, 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 many hundreds of you to go. But we want everybody to go and multiply. If multiplication is a true biblical principle, then we need to ask, where is it supposed to stop? Is it supposed to stop in your neighborhood or your apartment? Is it supposed to stop? Is multiplication supposed to stop in Austin? Is it supposed to stop... In our country, no. No, the fullest expression of multiplication is every believer, every believer working to see that every person on this planet, all seven plus billion of them, has an opportunity to follow and treasure Jesus. That's why we send people, that's why we multiply, and that's why we need more people to go. Because he is that good. Amen? He is that good. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, so much for your goodness in our lives. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't choose you. You chose us. Not because we were special or born in the right place or brought anything to the table. You don't need our gifts, abilities, talents. You don't need any of that, God. It was only by your great grace that you broke into our lives. This is more glorious good news than we could ever imagine. And so help us, God. Help us. We, we hear your word this morning and we want to multiply. We want to make new disciples. God, we want to look back on 2015 and say, by God's great grace. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it looked like. But more people now are following Jesus because Jesus was such a great treasure in my life that I began to tell people about him. Would you do that, God? Not because you have to but so that we could enjoy more of who you are. Young and old, introvert and extrovert, moms, teenage guys and gals, Lord, do it in us, we pray. We need your help. You're the only one that can do it. Raise up many more people today, God, that would say, I, I, by faith, will go to the nations and proclaim this good news. Jesus is such a treasure in my life. 
I would count it a privilege to go and suffer for his great name. Empower every single one of us to think like that, to act like that, God. Thanks that it's not dependent on us trying harder, but it's dependent on you. You've done the work, God. Be the treasure that you are in our lives. We pray in your mighty name. And the church agreed and said, amen.